Let's just pray for a moment. It's been a busy program this morning already. But everything has been God-centered. Everything has been planned to give God the glory. And we shouldn't restrict God speaking to us. So in the stillness, let's forget the time. And I pray, Father God, that my words will honour you and be in challenge to each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I uh, go on, um, I don't know how many of you realised it was Whit Sunday. It's one of those Christian festivals that uh, just seems to come and uh, go and nobody t- takes much notice of it. Mark has brought a whole load of uh, lapel badges, the Spirit Dove, and they will be outside, so please feel free to take one. Right, they say that a good sermon is uh, one that has a good opening and a good ending and they should be as close together as possible. (laughs) We are continuing our uh, look this morning at uh, Exodus and somehow I'm going to be looking at chapters 12, 13 and 14. So I hope nobody's got a roast dinner uh, ready for Hoppers 12. It's time to move on. Every one of us has to face the prospect sometime in their lives of moving on. Whether it's leaving school, leaving college, leaving university, leaving home to get married, finding larger accommodation for a growing family, promotion at work, and maybe finally downsizing when you get to our age. And each one of us copes, perhaps, with moving on with a different emotion. God had heard the cries of Moses and the children of Israel. Let us go. Let my people go. And Exodus 12, 31 says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, lead my people, lead my Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and go, and also bless me. So Moses told the people to get ready, and before they left Egypt, God would give his people a very special ceremony that they would remember and obey, even to this day, that being the Passover. They were to dip some hyssop in blood and put on the doorposts, and when God struck down all the Egyptian firstborn children, he passed over his own people. This was a sign to move on. Remember what Exodus means. It means a way out, an exit from bondage, entry into new life. Now, if you like Jan and I, we've moved house so many times, we've got it off to fine art now. We've got our packing in order. We know exactly what we're doing. But there are lessons to be learnt, I believe, when we do move on. And very quickly, I'm going to share these, and you can have a look at chapters 12 and 13 when you get home. 
Be aware of God's presence in all things as we move on. Even, even if they don't go as you planned them. Verse 17 of chapter 13 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though this was the shortest way. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and will return to Egypt. So as God led his people to the Red Sea, it certainly wasn't the shortest journey. It wasn't the easiest, but it was a route that God had chosen for his people. God's guidance is another lesson to learn. I often envy the Israelites with their pillar of cloud and their pillar of fire to guide them and lead them. Nothing quite so obvious, is it, when we seek God's guidance? But reassured, God does guide. And he will give us indicators. And he will give us people. He will give us words. And don't forget, when you're moving on, to respect God's wisdom. He can see the bigger picture. I recall uh, when we lived in Sheffield uh, in the 1980s, being summoned to uh, my head office, I heard that promotion was in, in line, and uh, I said, uh, the last words I said to Jan as I left, the last place I want to go to, Jan, is Manchester. Guess what job I was offered? God had a sense of humour. And when we came over, where on earth were we going to live? Manchester, huge. And somehow, I don't know quite how, but God directed us to Lynn Baptist Church. Well, to Lynn. And as we drove along there, we saw Lynn Baptist Church. And somehow we knew that that was the right place. We needed a strong church. Whether the church needed us or not is another question you can debate later. But God knows the plans for each one of us. And God sees the bigger picture. So as you plan to move on, whatever the situation is, remember those three things. Be aware of God's presence, God's guidance, and God's wisdom. And if you continue to look through chapter 12 and 13, you will see those underlined in a very, very big way. So the pillar of fire takes the Israelites into the desert and they eventually camp by the Red Sea. I haven't got time to read the whole of chapter 14. You know the story. We uh, said it to the kids. We showed that uh, DVD. Go home and read it. Um, And as I said, uh, the children can ask you what you learnt because so often we ask children, what did you learn? So uh, a mother asked nine-year-old Joey uh, by his mum, what have you learnt at Sunday school this morning? Well, mum, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his army build a platoon bridge and all the people walked safely across. Then he radioed headquarters for reinforcements and they sent bombers to blow the bridge up and all the Israelites were saved. Now, Joey, I don't really think that's what your Sunday school teacher said. Well, no, Mum. But if I told you the way my teacher told you, you would not believe it. 
Crossing the Red Sea must rank as one of God's greatest miracles. And some people try to uh, scorn it and say it wasn't true, but uh, I believe the word of God and I can have it confirmed because in May 2003, a guy by the name of Peter Alma from Cainsham was diving in the Red Sea and he discovered a chariot wheel and it has now been proved that that chariot wheel was 3,500 years old. The truth will always stand. There's a song uh, of a few years ago that many artists have recorded and it's entitled The Impossible Dream. As John mentioned last week, we do have impossible dreams at times. Some dreams are possible. Some of those impossible dreams are just fantasies that are never going to happen. And I promise not to mention the football, so I won't mention the fact of my impossible dream of scoring the winning goal for United. Some people might think that uh, singing, sinking the winning putt at Augusta is an impossible dream. Some of you might want to uh, be the first Baptist on the moon. That's not going to be possible. Baptists go under if they don't go up. Much nearer home, you might hear your child say, you go and sit down, Mum. I'll clear away the dinner things. The impossible dreams. But I want to reverse those impossible dreams this morning and look at those possible nightmares, possible difficult dreams that we might have. Because you're not alone. In Exodus 14, we see God's people facing a similar dilemma. I feel desperately sorry for Moses here. Here he is facing the impossible situation. He'd done all the hard work. He had suffered the scorn from his people, particularly when they were in Egypt. He pleaded with Pharaoh through the plagues. He finally persuaded Pharaoh for the people to leave. Then, just as they thought they were safe, they faced the impossible. A red sea. This isn't just limb dam that you could swim across in five minutes. It's recognised that in that particular day, the Red Sea would be about three or four miles wide. So you can imagine trying to get a minimum of 600,000 people from here to High Lee, you can see the vastness of the task. But I wonder how popular Moses was. It was impossible to swim across, there were no boats. And the reaction of the Egyptians was one of anger, a natural reaction, anger. Why have you brought us out into the desert to die? Is it because there are no graves for us in Egypt, says the people? How human it is for us when we face an impossible situation to say, it's not fair. It's not fair. Before we finally seek God and trust him. Well, we all know the rest of the story. Everybody walks through and all are saved. And God brings the water back onto 
Pharaoh and the army, and they are all drowned. So how did they face the impossible? Firstly, I want to encourage anyone facing the impossible this morning not to be afraid to acknowledge it. The children had no option. They were faced with an impossible situation. How were they going to get across the sea? The Egyptians were coming up behind them. Sadly, I still feel that uh, church is still the easiest place to wear a mask. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. But under your breath, I'm not actually. But I can't tell you how I'm feeling because it is something between me and God, as sometimes said. Sometimes we feel guilty as a Christian that we shouldn't be feeling like this. Why do we still find it so difficult to be open and honest with each other at times? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it a fear that somebody might think badly of my Christian faith? Is it a fear that my confidentiality will be broken? Or is it a fear that that person won't listen to me? Because they're too busy sorting out the flower rota for next week. But there is a warning, and it's happened to me. I asked a slightly hard-of-hearing gentleman how he was feeling, and he replied, I'm fine, I'm fine, apart from these wretched hemorrhoids. <laughs> that was a challenge for us, not only to take our masks off as individuals, but as a church family to allow the demasking to occur. A homeless woman turns up at church, but because the minister was very, very busy, he said he would pray for her. She later wrote this poem, and please forgive me if you've heard this before. She wrote, I was hungry and you formed a humanities group to discuss my hunger. I was in prison and you crept off quietly to pray for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God that you were well. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shout of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seemed so holy, so close to God, but I, but I, am still hungry. I'm still lonely. I'm still cold. Acknowledge the impossible situation before God. Share with a trusted friend. And if you are that trusted friend, be like Jesus and go the extra mile. Now I want to concentrate on just one verse in Exodus 14. It's chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 13. And it very nicely gives a preacher three good sermon points. When the uh, Israelites were complaining, Moses answered the people and said, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Fear not. Stand still. See the salvation of God. I don't want to minimise this morning any situation that you as individuals might be facing. 
I can emphasize a lot. I've been there. But Moses tells his people, fear not. Fear not. Do you remember that song um, Morris Chapman wrote in the mid-80s? Um, we started to sing it as we moved from uh, the Baptist hymn book to uh, Songs of Fellowship, Volume 1. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I think we sang it every Sunday, and uh, eventually I think we sang it to death. But the words are as relevant today as they were when we first sung them. I am not afraid. No, not me. For I'm walking in faith and victory. For the Lord your God is with you. Fear not. Two simple words, but so difficult to believe. That phrase, be strong and fear not, is repeated so often in scripture. Even the great men like Isaac, Moses, Joshua, David, Jeremiah and even Paul were all told, be not afraid. So if those great men of faith had times of fear, it's understandable if we do. The writer of Hebrews in his last chapter, which is entitled Concluding Encouragement, says, Say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Then Moses says to the people, stand still. When facing an impossible situation, it is so easy to go into a Corporal Jones frame of mind. Don't panic, don't panic, Mr. Mandarin. It's understandable. It's a human response. When we were initially told that Jan had MCI, we had hundreds of questions. What is? How long? How much do we tell the children? And it wasn't until we started to stand still did we find peace. Peace to live one day at a time. If we get ourselves involved in risk management, and many of you have, we could be facing the impossible situation with mythology and statistical equations. Moses could have done a risk assessment had he been a 21st century prophet. When facing the dilemma of the Red Sea, he could say, well, we could surrender on the onset and cut our losses. We could mobilise the people to fight or delay the inevitable by hiding and running. But he didn't. Let me just give you three further scriptures to encourage you to stand still while God fulfills his purposes. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Luke 18, 27. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And Luke 1, 37. For God... Nothing is impossible. So, Moses, so God tells Moses to stand still. In a society that with modern technology has created instant communication, instant busyness, 
standing still and listening to God. Maybe just one lesson we need to learn when facing the impossible situation. How often do we stand still and then see the glory of God? The glory of God reveals itself in so many ways. Picture the biblical scene. The Israelites are in panic mood. They are told to be still. So in silence, they watch Moses lift up his staff, stretch out his hand. But I guess as they are watching, there's the odd peep behind them as the Egyptians get closer and closer. I wonder what the reactions of those Israelites were when they suddenly saw the water part. I wonder if they absolutely recognised the power of God. Scripture sadly doesn't tell us the emotions of the people but in the next chapter 15 we read the wonderful song of Moses and that will be for next time. How do we how often do we recognise the glory of God working his purposes out? Moses had no idea what we were going to do. I wonder how he felt when God said, Just lift up that stick, Moses. The complete trust that Moses had, the complete faith that Moses had in his God to do the impossible. Now we might be tempted to leave a familiar story there. It's a wonderful story of God's miraculous saving power for his chosen people. A story that has been retold throughout generation after generation. But I believe there's a bigger story here of redemption. On so many occasions in scripture, the Old Testament prepares us for the New Testament. It's a great study to link the old and the new. And there are several books. There's one book called um, Finding Christ in the Old Testament. Very good book. I've forgotten the author at the moment, but uh, it can be found, I'm sure, on uh, the internet. Our home group has taken up the challenge of studying Hosea. I wonder how many of you have read Hosea, yet alone study it. And that was a challenge to link that with the New Testament. But we have done on several occasions because Hosea describes the sinfulness of the world. And we were able to link that sinfulness to today's sinfulness and the need for God to return in all his glory. The exodus from Egypt was a physical, historical, God-led event. Moses offered his people spiritual freedom from physical slavery. And Christ offers you and me the same today. Because the symbolic picture here, I, I believe, is one of believers' identification with death, burial and resurrection. The people of Israel faced the impossible situation. They faced the crossroads in their lives. What did they do? They went down into the water. They came out the other side. 
three people. And this is another picture of New Testament baptism. And can I say, just because we haven't got a minister, it doesn't mean to say we're not going to do any more baptisms until a new one comes. If you're interested, please come and see John or the others or myself. In 1 Corinthians 10, first four verses, Paul gives, Paul is given the exodus from Egypt, a Christological explanation. Because he says, just as they were baptised in Moses, so we are baptised into Christ. So the story of the Red Sea crossing not only finalises God's redemption of his people from slavery in Egypt, but I think it also prefigures the greater spiritual reality of God redeeming his people against slavery and sin through the work of Jesus Christ. Now let me try and conclude and put all those things and thoughts together. By linking the Old Testament and the New Testament, can you identify the certain knowledge that God has everything planned and everything under his control? The great God of the universe knows all about us. He knows all about our reactions when in our daily life we face impossible situations. He knows there will be times of confusion. He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we will probably panic from time to time. He understands all our human emotions. Why? Because Jesus became man. Jesus had human emotions. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. He struggled with fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. The story concludes in verse 31. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Do we wait until we face the crisis before we believe in God? Isn't it still a sad reflection of today's society that the majority of people do not give God any thought until they reach a crisis point? I often wonder what God thinks about crisis-led Christianity. But I know through his grace and love he can use those situations as we can for his glory. So this morning, if you're facing an impossible situation, if it's seemingly impossible, you don't know quite where you're going to next, then let me encourage you with this verse. Be strong. Be still. Let the love of God reveal the bigger picture to you so you can praise the living God who is with you every day and every night. Amen. Let's remain seated while I just, uh, just reflect on those. We're going to sing, Be Still and Know That I Am God. <laughs>